Welcome to 39-Minute Conversations. Please wait for your host to begin this meeting. Your meeting is now being recorded. All right. Are you there? Can you see me? Can you hear me? I absolutely can. Hello. Thank you for being here. Hey, Brian. Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. I, um, I'm i very excited to talk to you, but the first thing I do have to do really fast is get through a quick ad read. I apologize. The business of podcasts, I know. I know you get it. <clears throat> this week's episode of 39-Minute Conversations is not technically presented by physical media. In previous episodes, I've talked to writers, filmmakers, actors involved in movies and shows that, for all intents and purposes, no longer exist because these shows and movies were made on streaming services. Max, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, Netflix been removed from said streamers for any number of reasons, tax write-offs, licensing fees, rights issues, residual payments, whole process is opaque and frankly insulting. Um, and I try to do research for these interviews and that involves watching my guests' credits. And there have been a few times where that was impossible because the show or movie they worked on is no longer available to watch anywhere. And as annoying and frustrating as, as that is for viewers, imagine how that feels for the creators to pour all that passion and hard work into a project for it to disappear. Streamers have made watching content convenient, sure, Lord knows I pay for my fair share of them, but movies and shows disappear all the time, jumping from service to service or becoming unavailable entirely. Even buying a digital copy of a movie isn't really buying it. If that service loses the rights, that movie is going to vanish from your library. The truth is, streamers have changed the industry, how content is watched, what content is available, and importantly for us in the industry, how content is made and how we are paid. It's a big part of the reason we're on strike. Our work is not content. It is an art form. It deserves to be treated as such, and we deserve to be paid like what we create matters because it does. So studios, yes, even streamers, if you're going to keep banishing our shows and movies with no regard for their for their creators, the least you can do is maybe make them available to put on our shelves. And hello, I'm Brian T. Arnold, and this is 39 Minute Conversations, a podcast about reconnecting with old friends and making new ones. But I've only got 39 minutes to do it because I will not be paying for Zoom Pro. We're in the middle of a new series where I'm sitting down with people who have been out on the picket line, standing in solidarity with the WGA. And my guest today is an Emmy-winning writer and producer. His credits include Ghost Rider, Girl Meets World, and Boy Meets World. Please welcome Mark Blutman. Brian, that, that's amazing. Um, well worth uh, the three minutes. And now we're <laughs> down to 36. So let's go. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's get awesome. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much. Um we don't know each other yet, Mark. Um, this is the first time that we have spoken, and I have to admit, I'm actually a little um, little anxious, a little nervous to be talking to you. Um, I've been watching your work for many years. Boy Meets World was a formative show for me. It's something that I still watch pretty often. So I just want to say first, you know, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. It really means a lot. I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Uh, listen, Brian, uh, chill, relax. <laughs> I promise I am the easiest most um mm -hmm. i mean easy to get along with accessible people know me from social media and mm -hmm. i can't tell you the amount of times that i just say yes to anything that's asked of me <laughs> this was easy but i mean it's it's i i actually have a show in development pre-strike with a, a writer that found me 
was a fan of mine, reached out to me on Twitter. We did a Zoom, and now we have a show that's set up at MGM. And, you know, would like... The, so what, wait, what you're telling me is my ask was too small. I should have hey, I should have asked you for something a lot more. I was hoping and ready for you to say, hey, will you co-host the next hundred <laughs> episodes of my pod? And I would have said, sure. You know, I just had people available for me when I started. Mm -hmm. I was very fortunate. I had incredible people in my life, uh, both professionally and in my inner circle. And um, it's not even, you know, pay it back, pay it forward. It's it's not even any of that, Brian. It's just, fuck, it's just doing the right thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know? But I also respect those that are different and, sure. you know, don't like strangers, you know, hitting them <laughs> up with asks and stuff. I get both sides. Sure. And there's always a way to do it, too. I remember um, a couple of years ago, I posted about both my parents getting COVID before mm. vaccines and they were a mess. And I was imploring people not to travel around the holidays. Mm -hmm. And I had, you know, thousands of replies like, oh my gosh, Mark, so sorry, you know, prayers up, thinking about your parents. Mm -hmm. And I had somebody DM me and asking if I'd like to be distracted by reading his pilot. Ugh. So yeah, not, not the best way, not the best way. How are your not parents? The best. How are your parents doing now? Is that okay if I ask that? Of course you can ask. They they survived. Thankfully, you know, it didn't attack their lungs and they mm -hmm. were never uh, intubated, but they're not the same. Before COVID, they were living on their own mm -hmm. and now they're in a nursing home. They're 89 and 85 and mm -hmm. uh, they're here in Vegas, which is why I'm here a lot. I've had a, a second place here for years and, you know, they're, I mean, they're around, so that's the blessing, but, yeah. you know, life's, life's hard for yeah. them. I'm sorry. But to hear thank that. you for asking. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for doing it. Um, I do. Speaking of COVID, I do try to start these interviews kind of the same way. I'm I'm very similar to you in that I do try to like I'm still careful about COVID. I'm still like being on the picket lines is still something that I'm like, this is the first time I've been around a lot of people in a while. And the reason I started this podcast before COVID, I was doing a lot of improv and sketch comedy and a lot of live comedy. And this became sort of my social and performative thing that I do. So, you know, how have you maybe, how have the last three or so years changed you? How are you maybe different than you were when this all started? What have you learned about yourself, et cetera? Honestly, I, I don't think I've learned anything from COVID mm -hmm. other than the sad reality that we as a country will let absolutely anything politicize mm -hmm. us. Yeah. And that to me is sad that, you know, a simple disease can't just come in and we react to it in the most positive way we can. Mm -hmm. like, we can like, why can't we just do that? Why does it have to bring all this, you know, baggage of, uh, you know, left and right, good and mm -hmm. bad, you know, and it just, so seeing how it became so divisive, mm -hmm. you know, was a reminder of uh, not only are we a broken industry, which is what we're mostly here to talk about, but we're yeah. a broken country as well. Absolutely. So that's kind of what I learned that, you know, good mm -hmm. people will be good. Good people will be caretakers and, you know, extend themselves to elevate and enrich others. And then, you know, people who are looking for a fight will use any opportunity for a fight. Yeah. 
that that was the very sad lesson that yeah i feel the same way like at the beginning of covid in a weird way it was almost like hopeful in terms of like oh this will bring us together and we can all like if we pitch in together things will not be what they actually turned out to be and it just was a reminder or even a, just an example of like is there actually anything that will bring us together anymore and i don't know if there is um let's let's do get into um yeah. what has been and continues to be the biggest story in at least our circles the wga strike just first of all human to human you're on the picket lines a lot how are you holding up during all this this going on um, you know, I'm 62 and a half, about to be 63 in August, mm -hmm. and I'm in decent shape, but, you know, I'm doing two studios a day. Mm. And, uh, you know, so at least six, sometimes eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I had to take a break both physically and mentally. And I went to Vegas for one of my son's 23rd birthday last mm -hmm. week. Happy birthday. And I'll let him know. Please. He said, "Hey, where's where's my flowers from Brian? No, no wishes. They're on the way. Yeah. Now, now we're there. So, um, and then I stayed. I'm still here, and I'll be back on the lines uh, Monday morning of next week. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's pacing yourself. It's you know trying to remain upbeat. And and the difference in this strike is there's there's more anger." Mm -hmm. You know, there's more, uh, certainly among the younger writers, uh, because in 2007, mm -hmm. we were really, we were fighting for remuneration and, you know, protection against new media. Mm -hmm. And the people we were negotiating against, the AMPTP then, um, they didn't take this position that they've taken now. And certainly the players are different, especially mm -hmm. with, you know, the new arm as opposed to the legacy companies. Back then it was, well, here's what we want. Here's what we deserve. We want to protect ourselves against X, Y, and Z. And eventually we got it. You know, mm -hmm. we certainly didn't get everything, but we got a lot of what we were looking for. And, and, and there wasn't that anger at least on my part, this time there's anger. Mm -hmm. I don't like these fucking people. I just don't like them mm -hmm. because they're looking to devalue us as artists. Yeah. You know, and I've always forever looked at what we do as an art. We are mm -hmm. artists. There are painters, sculptors, musicians, lyricists, poets, novelists, playwrights. Mm -hmm. It's, we're all part of the artist community and we all have this incredible gift. And with that gift uh, comes the potential to affect audiences in a profound way. Mm -hmm. And if you're fortunate enough, uh, like I was with something like Boy Meets World, then 30, 40 and more years later, you can still affect audiences with that work. Mm -hmm. And that's such a rare gift that we all have. And we don't know when the next succession is coming or when the next Ted Lasso or whatever. There's, you know, different hits for different folks. Mm -hmm. But they, this time, don't see us as artists. Mm -hmm. They see us as disposable. They mm -hmm. see us as replaceable. And so there's anger. And I have a lot of anger towards these guys. And when you 
see what happened to Zaslav at Boston University, Mm -hmm. you're reminded that it's not just our 11,500 strong, our members, who have disdain for this guy. It's the young generation who some may want to become writers, some may not, Mm -hmm. but they see the behavior as something that's symptomatic of where our country is headed, mm-hmm. which is greed is good. They forget mm-hmm. that was just a fucking line in a movie that we wrote. By they, the bad guy. The right. bad guy. Exactly. Well, clearly we have, you know, seven or eight bad guys. Yeah. Um, and so they, you know, they don't see it and yeah. see us and forget that they're making boatloads, yacht loads of money. Mm-hmm. And uh, the metaphor is intentional when I say yacht loads of money. <laughs> sure. Off of us. Yeah. And, you know, the expression in our business is, you know, when you're ever on set, you know, the reminder, you know, and I always give this speech and it's not necessarily original. I'll put my own twist on it, but it takes a village. Mm-hmm. I mean, hair, makeup, wardrobe writers mm-hmm. directors camera grips everybody dolly guys blah, 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 everybody mm-hmm. it takes a village and with these streamers we as the writers built the foundation of the village mm-hmm. and they're asking us to leave the very village we built yeah that is what it sounds like and you do mention and it's very true that this industry is probably if not is it is it's probably the most collaborative art form because it combines it combines all the art forms together it is visual it is audio there's music there is act there's performance it's all of it um and what i've noticed with this strike and i've heard it maybe wasn't the case in 2007 maybe you can speak to this better than i can is that we are seeing more union solidarity from not just the wga but from all the other unions who have been not crossing picket lines and have been marching with us. What do you think is different now in that regard, in regard to everybody being on the same page in this battle than was previously the case? Because I think it speaks to what I said earlier, Brian, that I really believe it's not just a, you know, writer AMPTP issue. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, again, it's symptomatic of where we're headed as a country. Yeah. Where we want you know, to be part of what we, you know, reap the benefits of what we sow, whereas these overlords have this point of view of ultra, ultra, ultra wealthy, let's get rid of the middle class. And when I say middle class, that includes, you know, to them, people who make millions of dollars as writers and creators, they want to get rid of them too. They want everyone to be up here, Mm -hmm. meaning them, Mm -hmm. you know, all the rich, if you're, trillionaires trillionaires all up there on the boats and then the rest of us down at the bottom going please sir may we have some more mm-hmm. so that's what i think is different everybody's feeling that ai is 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 reared its its ugly head mm-hmm. and you know that's real to you know not only us but to um you know sag after as well and so mm-hmm. um you know i just think it's 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 different in that you know we're especially the next generation. Also, the other thing too, to answer your question, part B of it is not just symptomatic of where we're headed as a country, but part B is the, you know, younger 
writers and future storytellers don't see opportunity. They're smart enough now to realize it. I saw this mm -hmm. coming. I talked about it in 2017 when Disney mm -hmm. and Fox merged. I said, mm -hmm. if this is where we're headed, we're screwed. Because yeah. ultimately, if the business is more focused on playing Pac-Man, waka, 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 and just gobbling mm -hmm. up companies, then what happens to us? I also saw it, and I've been very vocal about this for years, I saw it with the pitch decks, you know, pitch mm -hmm. decks became mm -hmm. a, a big thing. And I went, no, this is, again, a result of our business being broken. Mm -hmm. It's a new breed of executives. And I want to be very clear, too, that that there are tons of executives out there who I love, mm -hmm. who are amazing. Absolutely. Um, and continue to be. Mm -hmm. But when I talk about, you know, the executives, the new breed, there's a whole group of people in there that are following the leadership or were brought in by their leadership and, and they have a different way of doing business. And sadly, they are not equipped to sit in a room with us and have me articulate a story mm -hmm. and they absorb that story and then go to their boss. If they're not of rank to buy it themselves, they have to go to the next, you know, mm -hmm. exec up. They're not equipped to tell that story, yeah. which is, you know, a lot of them came from tech. A lot of them came from advertising. Pitch decks is an advertising thing. There, I can promise you, almost no deals were made because somebody put together an awesome bunch of pictures. Mm -hmm. I could sit in a room and tell a story because I'm a storyteller. Sure. And I can make an executive feel, maybe cry. I've made executives cry before when I've cried in a room telling a story. A pitch deck can't do that. But mm -hmm. when I saw all that, I said, no, again, that's just a symptom of a broken business. We have executives that don't know how to take in a story yeah. and then retell it. And so they need pictures. So now, you know, all of a sudden, yeah, you know, and the managers and agents, they do whatever they're told by the execs. So they would come back and tell people, yeah, yeah, pitch decks, pitch decks. Sure. It, it, that, that's when I knew like we were slowly fracturing. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're speaking really clearly to the sort of the um, Silicon Valleyization, MBAification of what of this industry. Um, I was listening to to go back to one of your points. I was listening to a podcast with Adam Conover, who's on the negotiating committee. Mm -hmm. He was talking about when he got his first TV show, he pitched it to TBS, TNT, finally landed on True TV. And nowadays that would just be pitching to Warner Discovery because they own all of that. Yeah. Disney now owns Fox. It has become, and I was speaking with another writer um, who, on the negotiating committee who was talking about um, how, what we're basically seeing is almost an Uber is like turning what Silicon Valley has done to like cab companies with Uber or who delivery with everything. They come in, they break it to to create a new system. And then, and I think this is the first time, unfortunately, with the way labor is in this country and the way unions have been devalued, this is the first time that they are like facing an industry that is so unionized. So I'm just, how do you see 
Um, do you think they saw this coming, like in terms of the power of the union standing up to them? And how do you see this um, ending? I don't know if they saw it coming because I have very little respect for most of the higher ups there in mm -hmm. that when you see a guy like Zaslav, who is so tone deaf mm -hmm. to how people feel about him, who in the middle of a strike, you know, is not shy about, you know, photo ops at, you know, con and, yeah. you know, uh, talking, having guests. Oh, we're in a recession. Look, only two yachts. We used to see 20. They don't get it. Look, we saw what happened last week when they rebranded as Max mm -hmm. and all the credits, the written buys and directed buys were removed. Mm -hmm. And then WGA and DGA make you know, in tandem statements. And then Max fires back with, oh my gosh, we're sorry. That was a technical oversight. Mm -hmm. no that way. was in the work yeah. for eight months. So, you know, do they, were they aware of our power? Were they aware of, you know, Lindsay Doherty, the most badass, awesome. Such a badass. She is so cool. Yeah. Um, I think she is the crush of every writer this summer. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, for people know, who don't man know, she's a um, woman. Yeah. yeah. For people who don't know, she's the head of the Teamsters here in LA. And she is just very inspiring and very tough. And everyone's in love with her as as they should be. She has a tattoo of Jimmy Hoffa on yeah. her, on her arm. So, yeah. I mean, you that, know, that tells you a lot about her. What's hotter than that? But no, she's amazing. <laughs> so, so, did all these people expect us to have this kind of backing um probably but where they underestimated this go round is the power of social media i was interviewed by deadline recently and i they asked me about the strike in the you know era of twitter etc and i said mm -hmm. dude i said we have a free pr machine running 24 7 yeah so when a guy like zaslav goes up and the student body chants pay your writers mm -hmm. or fuck fuck you Zaslav or any of those. And we can just circulate that mm -hmm. over and over again. Did they expect that? Did they think of that? No. Um, what I believe, you know, it'll take is uh, a guy like Iger mm -hmm. from one of the legacy companies mm -hmm. standing up in the room, you know, just, just having enough of the spirit of Walt Disney inside him mm -hmm. in that making magic, suspending belief and story for some, taking people on journeys, all that stuff, mm -hmm. having just enough of that in him and representing legacy companies and, and respecting writers and realizing that, you know, all the dollars and cents are made off of our stories that he'll stand up in the room and say, you know, let's make a deal kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not going to be, you know, Carol Lombardini. I mean, no. she's, yeah, I just look at her and go, you know, swipe away. Like, no, like that's <laughs> somebody, if I found on Tinder, I would delete the app. Um, <laughs> so I think it'll be somebody like him standing up and, you know, maybe mm -hmm. somebody like Netflix just says no and they go rogue and I don't care. We don't need them. Yeah. We really Do you don't. Yeah. Do you see that happening? Because I know in 2007, there were a few breakaways. Like I know David Letterman's company was like the first one to get back on the air with their shows because they made their separate side deal with WGA. Do you, is that something that you 
see happening? Or do you think that the companies are too in lockstep to sort of allow that? Um, like I said, it's going to depend on on that one person yeah. and how much respect he has. And I believe Bob Iger has an incredible amount of respect. And uh, he he just comes off different. Again, remember, the, the those three new tech companies, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that are, I believe, are bigger obstacle than Apple, the Netflix, companies. Amazon, sure, yeah. Two of them don't. I mean, you know, Apple's in the, you know, computer phone business. Right. Amazon is in the delivering, you know, you know, a few thousand pairs of socks every hour business. Sure. I mean, they they have less to lose. Yeah. So I don't know, but I still think that you know, the the PR factor may be enough to make them go along, but I can see Netflix being the outlier. I mm -hmm. just can. Yeah. Why do you think the companies are so the AMPT comp AMPTP companies are so particularly bad at losing this? They're losing this battle, the PR battle, obviously. They are not obviously we're storytellers. We have this social media that we can that we can create these narratives. That is something that we and create narratives is what we do. But they, you know, they have their PR companies and their spin. They have their ability to, in theory, put a good message out there. But so far, it doesn't seem like they have. It is. Is do you think it's because their messaging is so indefensible, or do you think they just don't give a fuck to be to about how they're perceived? I believe the disparity in the amounts of money they make, mm -hmm. and that we're getting that out there. And, you know, it was released today, the letters that Meredith wrote to these companies. Um, there's very little they can say. I, yeah. I think it's one of those things where you're being pummeled and you just, you know, rope-a-dope. You just <laughs> lean against the ropes and, sure. you know, hope the other side gets tired. And they're hoping we get tired, but not this time. Because, again, this time, it's not about dollars and cents. Mm -hmm. It's about these young writers that I've been mentoring being able to have a 30 plus year career like I had mm -hmm. have, I mean, I'm still going strong. Oh, yeah, you're still going strong. Yeah, no, no, no. I know. I just, I, I can't believe I said <laughs> like I had, but the point is, and, and, you know, two years ago, like I saw mm -hmm. this coming as, and I would talk to these young writers and they were so excited mm -hmm. to be in LA and so excited to sit down with me and so excited to have this long career. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Inside, I was like, I can't break their hearts. Yeah. Well, AMPTP did it for me. They broke their hearts. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to tell them. They told them. And now they're fucking angry because mm -hmm. they've picked up and moved to this amazing city where dreams can be realized. Mm -hmm. Showbiz is still wonderful. Oh, Storytelling absolutely. is yeah. wonderful. Yeah. You know, um, my, my ex-wife... Uh, when she was in her early 20s, she was an assistant mm -hmm. at Paramount for Robert Evans. Mm. And, and, and you know, for those people out there who saw the offer, Matthew Good did an incredible job playing Robert Evans. But we had more of those kind of guys in our business. Yeah. You know, we had guys that wanted... That love movies. Love that movies. And that just didn't exist, Yeah. I got into this business because a, I ripped up my knee and couldn't play hockey anymore. <laughs> so there was that. <laughs> sure. And B, I love show business. I saw Sammy Davis Jr. when I was twelve years old. Mm. 
And then in my 20s, me and my friends met him in Lake Tahoe and I hung out with Sammy for two days. Oh, wow. That's show business. I just yeah. watched the Mary Tyler Moore documentary. Mm. Mary Tyler Moore show is one of the best shows the ever. Best. And yeah. I, I, I knew people that worked on it. And, and, you know, it was show business. You know, those sets were electric. Even stuff I've done, multi-camp shows. I'll never forget when we did our first episode of Girl Meets World, which would have been about seven years ago, maybe. Wow. The studio audience went, I think it was like a six minute standing ovation from 300 people that were just so electric to see Corey and Topanga again in front mm -hmm. of them 30 years later. A big difference now in our industry, they don't care about the audience. Yeah. The audience has zero say in what's on, what gets pulled, what gets made. Zero say. Yeah. You know, back in the day, you shoot a pilot, there's tests, the audience test groups come in, focus groups and all that. And ratings dictate. We don't even know the ratings. They mm -hmm. don't care about their audience at all. And that's the message I want to get out there that we mm -hmm. need to get out there. The audience needs to know they're suckers in the eyes of Netflix yeah, and Apple. They're suckers. And all they care about is something attractive to bring in a few more new subscribers. That's all they care about. Mm -hmm. And that's why so many people are like, what happened to my show? I love that show. That's how a show like Gordita Chronicles could get canceled. Yeah. You know, a diverse show that made an entire group of people that are so valuable to our country and 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 so you know on equal footing but looking to be represented in film and tv and they had it and they were happy and crossover audiences were coming over to watch it too and i watched a couple of the episodes and they were amazing they were so, you know that's i mean my jam is family shows and then it gets pulled for no reason yeah but how can we let the business become that? Mm -hmm. and, and what we won't. And it's so short-sighted on their end, too, because like you mentioned, Girl Meets World, people were electric to see the characters again. People are so into IP now and and like reboots. and But we're not creating the products now. They're not letting us do anything original to be nostalgic about later. It just, you know, it's funny. That opportunity. I, I, I just tweeted uh, a couple of days ago and Angelina Burnett, who I adore and I think is an amazing uh, talent and board member. She tweeted something similar. I tweeted out a couple of days ago. I said, I am tired of the expression IP. I'm tired of hearing mm. it from sure. agents and managers. I'm tired of hearing it from them because guess what? Every fucking thing we write is IP. Yeah, It's all intellectual property. And then we sell copyright, the rights, et cetera, to a studio, a network, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm t it's another lazy cop-out. It's all a byproduct of this new breed that sits in those offices of not understanding story, not understanding character. I watched recently... Um, a movie from 30 years ago in indie that I hadn't seen in forever with Natasha Leon and Carl Reiner and David Krumholtz, mm -hmm. Slums of Beverly Hills. Okay. It was so good. Yeah. It's 30 years ago. It held up. It's just a small in we gotta like they the studios have to put these stories air. I saw air twice. It was just Matt and Ben 
telling yeah. the Michael Jordan and Sonny Vaccaro, very simple. It's great. The audience it's is great. too smart. It's smarter yeah. than these execs. They're getting tired of superheroes and franchises and reboots and half mm -hmm. the reboots don't even make it all the way. Like I, mm -hmm. I think like head of the class, like I don't think that ever ended up airing or if it did, it came and went. I mean, you know, let storytellers tell stories. I totally agree. And speaking of stories, I would be remiss if I didn't use our little bit of remaining time, talk a little bit oh about, gosh. about Boy Meets World. Um, as I mentioned up top, formative for me in a number of ways. It, it was maybe the first time I fell in love with the show. It helped form me as a human, as my sense of humor, made me realize I wanted to be a writer before I knew what that meant. What does it feel like to have been part of a show that has had that kind of an impact on people? Because it's definitely not just me. You know, you there are a lot of writers who who talk about Boeing's world that way. I'm friends with um, Kristen Tepper, who was a former guest of this podcast, who tweets about Boeing's world a lot. It's something that we've we've mentioned to each other. So how does that feel just being part of something that has this kind of legacy and has lasted for so long? It's overwhelming and I'm humbled and I get tweets and dms almost daily mm -hmm. um and i try and reach out with grace because it is a blessing i mean to have been part of a legacy show and know that when i leave this business i'm leaving iconic episodes of television behind and i ran that show uh for two and a half years in the middle and mm -hmm. Uh, I, you know, I think I wrote about 20 of them and, and, and it, just last week I was on a bunch of podcasts, uh, and pod meets world mm -hmm. also was the, the thrill in filler, the episode where we had Vader on the wrestler and people were talking about it as being one of the more iconic episodes ever. And so I was doing a lot of interviews and it's absolutely humbling. It's something I can always throw in my kid's face when they diss me, <laughs> um, and the thing of it is, Brian, when we did Boy Meets World, we had no idea because yeah, sure. there was no internet, mm -hmm. you know, the internet was just kind of starting and there was, you know, we were a hit. We knew that, you know, TGIF, sometimes, you know, 20, 22 million people would watch a show, mm -hmm. but it was years later when we were probably the first I don't like calling Girl Meets World a reboot. To me, it was a continuation. Sure. Um, you know, but we were one of the first. But it was when we started doing that that we started really, really hearing about the impact Boy Meets World had on people. Mm -hmm. You know, because older generation were like telling their kids, oh, watch Girl Meets World and then let's go back and watch Boy Meets World together. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I, I think it's, I'm super proud of it. Mm -hmm. And to be able to have had a long career and, you know, I've probably done, been involved in over 300 half hours of TV and maybe mm -hmm. 10 pilots and, you know, a bunch of movies. Um, but that in itself is an incredible blessing. Mm -hmm. But then to have, you know, boy and to have people 30 years later quote lines that I wrote <laughs> is, is overwhelming and humbling. And it's not just, my generation as well. I mean, I'm obviously, you know, my generation showing it to their to their kids and stuff because my niece called me one day. She's about to go into high school and she was fond of like she knows obviously what I do. And she was like, you know, who you need to cast in your movie is Danielle Fischel. I've been watching so much Boy Meets World and she's the best actor in the world. <laughs> it's 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 still reaching people. And 
um, the not just so that speaks to um, the timelessness of it, too, which I'm sure I don't know if that's something that you can. There's no formula for that. There's no way to like know if you're creating something timeless, but that has to be. I don't know. I I think we all strive to have something that lasts in that way. So it's very cool that you have that. It's amazing. And 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 it's, you know, so many times it's it's just the perfect storm, right? It's not just good writing because the writing gets better. The the, the you know, the the season, the first season, some episodes were great, some were just okay, but the casting gods have to be looking down on you. Yeah. It's, I mean, you know, Friends is the easiest example. Without those six, that exactly. show is not, yeah. you know. So it's then when you have this amazing cast and you have an amazing crew and you have good scripts, well, the scripts now get better because the actors make them better and the actors are getting better because you're writing for them better. Mm-hmm. And again, it goes back to the village. It takes a village. And, uh, you know, unfortunately part of you know what's going on while there's so much amazing content there's so much really shitty content true and the reason is again these guys these big executives they really don't understand what's involved Mm -hmm. in running a show and so they've put a lot of people in who don't necessarily have the proper experience yeah and uh a lot of times what i've seen is uh the shows are not breathing Mm-hmm. In other words, episode four should really happen maybe in season two. Sure. Just really front loading. And that's how they're being instructed because, again, they want the hot beginning to bring in subscribers. Yeah. And, you know, good storytelling is otherwise, like to me, these fucking morons, if they were, you know, book editors, all the books would be 11 pages. Sure. And they even have those like apps now. They're like 10 minute reads. They're like, here's the recap of everything you like of a book in 10 minutes. Like it's that's what it's come down to. And I think that's what they believe. Um, real, real fast before sure. um, before uh, we get into the the end. 39 minutes. <laughs> but um, when I was growing up, the actor slash character that I was compared to most in both looks and personality was Wilfred Ellis, Eric Matthews. So I just have to ask you in this moment. Can you see that? Is that accurate? How do you feel about that? I actually thought I was doing Pod Meets World. Okay, good. That's what I wanted yeah. to know. I, I thought, you know, Danielle and Ryder <laughs> were sick or something, and I was just sitting there with Will. I could see it. Okay, good. I, That's, I, I could see it. Now it's official. Uh, we have less. We have a minute left. So before I get into the last questions, um, it, where can people follow you? Is there anything you want to plug or say before we uh, before the last round of questions? Um, I'm on Twitter uh, at Blutman Mark, and I'm on Instagram at Mark Blutman. Um, and no, you know, I'm just out there. If if you're on the picket lines and you see me, don't hesitate to introduce yourself to me and say hi and ask me questions. And, uh, you know, when I first started, my first showrunner was a guy named Bernie Ornstein from the comedy team of Ornstein and Turtletob. They were legends. People Google them. They ran shows like The Monkeys, That Girl, Sanford and Son, Kate and mm-hmm. Alley, What's Happening, Chicken Soup, et cetera, et cetera. And I was a young baby writer in Bernie. We shot location in Toronto. And from the very beginning, he took me around and took me to editing, cast. Your meeting has ended. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Thank you for listening to 39-Minute Conversations, hosted and produced by Brian T. Arnold. Music by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 License. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tune in for new episodes, and don't forget to rate and review. If you didn't like what you heard, please don't do any of that. That's okay, too. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Stay safe and be well.